writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Welcome to Right Pack Radio. I am David Allen Lucas, your host, and today we are on top of a necessary villain. With us today is my co-host, Kathleen Kayembe, author of GLBT Romance under Kaseka and Vita. I'm Jennifer Stolder. I'm a YA fantasy author and illustrator. I'm Melanie Kalani. Um, I write uh, sci-fi, fantasy, and nonfiction. I'm Jamie Craigover. I write middle grade and young adult science fiction and fantasy. Brad R. Cook, uh, author, publisher, and president of St. Louis Writers Guild. Matt McGraw, I'm an amateur short story writer. I'm working on a Patrick the Spider book with uh, Jennifer, my cousin. Fedora Amos, I wrote Jack the Ripper in St. Louis. And you've got to admit that as far as villains go, Jack the Ripper was top of the class at Villainy U. <laughs> Most certainly. Actually, he is one of the most legendary historical villains. There's a university for that? Absolutely. Oh. I'm so going to that university. <laughs> <laughs> That's disturbing. I am doing a story idea right now. Okay. Yeah. It's like, is there going to be like a, I don't know, Arkham High? <laughs> request like a student. Well, they have an asylum. So. Okay. Can we go around and do that? Well, actually, before we get started, let me get um, one thing for the for our listeners. Let me explain why we are using the term villain versus perhaps the more modernly accepted version, which is antagonist. The term villain is being applied to a thinking character versus mother nature or an element of nature or anything like that. It's a non-thinking character. As an example, if you have read Jack London, um, How to Build a Fire, where his character, there's two versions of this story, and I will give you spoiler alerts. One, one character dies from from hypothermia, and the other version is he he has he gets uh, frostbite so bad he has his fingers or toes or something amputated. But Mother Nature is the antagonist in that short story. The antagonist doesn't think; it doesn't do. It just is and acts as its normal self. Same thing with um, Old Man in the Sea with the Marlin by Ernest Hemingway. Whereas a villain would be. Jack the Ripper, Joker from Batman, um, Dracula from the same um, novel, Dracula. Somebody who thinks, who actually acts against the protagonist. And with that, let me ask everybody around the table, who is your favorite villain? I'm going to start off with... Well, hello, (laughs) Jack the Ripper, of course. I mean, they don't get much worse than that old boy. At least in true crime, they certainly don't. And a fellow from St. Louis named Bill DeBellis convinced me that the real Jack the Ripper was a fellow named Francis J. Tumblety, a quack doctor who spent a lot of time in St. Louis and was a major suspect of Jack the Ripper in London in 1888. And that very same, very strange man, Francis J. Tumblety, died in St. Louis in 1903. So, Jack the Ripper is my favorite villain, hands down. Mm, I think I'm going to go with, I can't even remember his name, I think it's Barlow, the uh, vampire from Salem's Lot. Mm. Uh, I'm going to kind of go in the opposite way, where I think Fedora liked the more realistic, well, the real villain, but uh, I think if you're going to have a villain, it has to be a little overblown. And I like that guy, because he's like, he's just pure evil. There's nothing else going on with that guy. He just wants to take over the town, turn everyone into vampires, and just spread his evil through the town like a sickness. You know, he has that scene where he like he takes the priest's cross and just snaps the arms off. That's that's great. That's amazing. Well, villain and villainy are way cooler words, so I'm glad we're using those terms in terms of anything else. 
But I, I would actually have to throw out Moriarty is probably one of my favorite villains. Uh, he's that classic archetype of the super evil genius, uh, but then also he has a bit of a flair for the dramatic, uh, the complex, um, the crazy, the, the downright demented. So I'd have to throw out Moriarty is definitely one of my favorites. So I can't per se pick one, but I have this yeah. favorite type of villain, which is the ones that kind of walk that fine line of the moral ambiguity. They're still good in you. So the the Darth Vader's, the Loki's, the even to an extent the Winter Soldier, you know, Captain America. Um, the ones that you can see that they're struggling with who they are and where they come from and you know, the situation that's presented. Yeah, I'm going to have trouble naming any one either, but I definitely, uh, I don't remember if you said this on air or not, Dave, but uh, an antagonist can be the protagonist of their own story. So I think I like the villains that in their own mind, they're not the bad guys. And frankly, the types of stories I like, it's not even clear which side. I mean, you could tell from the other point of view, and, I mean, if you were telling a World War II novel from the German point of view, the Germans could be the hero. Now, if it's a concentration camp, then it's pretty clear, you know, the the Nazi guards are the bad guys, but there are other stories, soldier against soldier, that type of thing, that there's definite sides. But both sides think they're right, and both sides have a reasonable argument that they're right. Uh, my favorite, my favorite villain I'm going to take from the uh, animated movie Pantheon. I would like to say uh, Maleficent from uh, Sleeping Beauty. Good one. Uh, she is pure evil. Mm-hmm. She says the word hell in in the show. She summons the powers of hell to try and murder the prince on his way out of the castle. Uh, her entire motivation is she's evil and she wasn't invited to an infant's birthday party. So she ruined a whole kingdom. <laughs> and that's pretty dare. badass. Okay. Her one failing is that she turned herself into a dragon, which the prince then slew. With be- help. With help from three little old ladies with magic wands. So she's pretty, you know, she's getting her own movie here in a minute. I don't know how I feel about that. That'll be a conversation for another time. Maybe when we go over adaptation. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> I suspend judgment, don't but I'm thinking terrible. it'll probably be pretty terrible. Just say Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Same thing. Okay. Okay, so I've been over here writing down villains because I can and favorites are evil, even though I pose the question. Um, But uh, I do have a type, and so I'm really glad that Jamie brought up a type. So I like a clear delineation between good and evil, but I love sociopathic, psychopathic, unpredictable villains who know that there is something seriously wrong with them, but still believe they're right anyway and go about doing what they do. So, the so Joker. you like Joker? Yeah, the Joker. Or like a Dexter. I have a Shuldig, the Joker, Loki from the um, film universe, because you can't quite tell if he's bats. You can understand, like, something's a little off, and I can see why that would be. But that may not be why he's uh, being evil. He could just think it's fun. And he probably does. So you're talking Loki from Thor universe, not Loki from Loki the from Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lex Luthor from Smallville, mm-hmm. and uh, the Operative from um, Serenity. Serenity. I don't know. I think Loki has a little bit of moral ambiguity to him. It, I mean, I think he's a victim of his past. Yeah, I there's think... a great like uh, there's a great comic book that's told from his perspective, which is like he takes over. Where is it that they live? Asgard. Asgard. Yeah, he takes that place over, and he's got, like, uh, Odin down in a chamber, like, all chained up, and he's like, why didn't you love me? It's really good. There's no doubt he thrives on chaos, but... Yeah, it's not that I don't want them to have, to be understandable or sympathetic. I do, but I don't want the line to be quite so gray that you think, well, maybe the villain is actually a good guy. No, he's killing babies. So do you not like heel-turn villains? What is the heel turn villain? Yeah, the one who switches to the good side. Let's say the Phantom of the Opera, Catwoman. for example. Phantom yeah. of the Opera was super evil, you know, the whole time just murdering people until he realized he was wrong and he let Christine go at the end. And that's the resolution of the story. Spoiler alert. I've written fan <laughs> fiction with heel turn villains, but I know they're evil and I know I'm warping them a little bit for what I'm doing <laughs> enough to make them want to be quote unquote redeemed or anything. So how do you feel about Harley Quinn? She's fun. She's definitely an ambigu- <laughs> ambiguous villain. But she's fun. Yeah. She, she likes She likes what she does. I like people who like what they do. My favorite villain 
uh, or rather my favorite type of villain. It's not my favorite villain. It's kind of a combination of what Melanie and Jamie were saying, and that's probably best seen. I'm going Valjean. Oh, there goes my French. Jean Valjean. No, not Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean in Les Mis was technically was the protagonist. He was technically a good guy, especially after the bishop, quote-unquote, buys his soul with the Church of Silver. It was the former police guard who becomes a policeman. Chavert. thank you. Who, throughout the entire book, musical, movies, and all that, he honestly believes he is right. He is a representation of the law. You should follow the law. And throughout the whole thing, up until he commits suicide, truly believes he is correct. Just like um, in Star Wars, I'm sorry, well actually in Star Wars, Darth Vader believed he was correct. And that democracy was flawed, that the corrupt would take power. In Superman and small, the related comics and TV shows and so forth, Lex Luthor actually looks at himself as being true, as being the good guy. Because he is protecting mankind from an alien. Who, tr- who should we trust? Should we really trust an alien, which is, of course, Superman? And there's, that goal can be discussed back and forth. They have belief and conviction. Yes. Which is awesome. In real life, I think villainy is often completely a matter of point of view. Take, for example, Frank and Jesse James. I actually wrote another book on that, <laughs> which I'm calling <laughs> Have Your Ticket Punched by Frank James. Well, you know, of course, that they were outlaws, and before that, they were members of Quantrill's Raiders. Atrocities, killing, mutilating hundreds of people in Centralia, Missouri. They simply stripped down and mowed down more than 20 soldiers, unarmed. They were bad guys, let's face it, but then... After that, they rob trains, they rob banks. Jesse gets killed. But what happens to Frank? Frank turns himself in to a very likable governor who has him tried in Gallatin, Missouri, a hotbed of rebel sentiment, where he is acquitted. And he's acquitted again in Alabama. So he was tried twice. He had killed 17 men in addition to whatever he killed in the army, and he was then free forever and spent time in St. Louis taking tickets in a burlesque house. And one of the things that we talked about briefly a moment ago is the best villains are the ones that actually could be the protagonist of the story. Um, I'm going to borrow from your time frame a little bit later than Jesse and Frank as far as their backgrounds in the Civil War. Look at Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid, huge murderer. He started off, though, as a thief. He got taken in by a kind gentleman who was turning his life around. They end up in the middle of the territory wars. His side gets killed. They become marshals, if I remember right. I could have the history a little bit wrong. Either they became marshals or sheriffs, one or the other, and the other side had control of the other side of that political party, or that part of the law, and they went at it. Of course, we know what happened with Billy the Kid. And along with that, look at the time period of the American Old West. A lot of your lawmen were criminals at one time. Or a lot of the criminals were farmer lawmen. And things go back and forth. Yeah, I think the point of view is a good way of looking at it. And I think any really successful villain has the, that what you guys are talking about in common, that they have this past and backstory that motivates them to act in a certain way and that depending on the perspective you know they look like the bad guy and i think that's why some of these villain stories like wicked and some of these other things that have come out you know in the last 15 ish years you know are so popular because it puts it turns the story on its head and makes you look at the story from a different perspective and sympathize with the person that was once somebody that you thought was the enemy. Like Breaking Bad, another example. Yeah, well, today's readers really want to have a sympathetic bad guy. We almost prefer the bad guy to the hero now. I think a lot of times, that, that's perfect lead into what I was going to say, a lot of times we sympathize with the villain 
because we can relate to that villain. We actually either see a part of ourselves in that villain. We admire something about that villain. They could be intelligent, ruthless, charismatic. They could be the person who goes around beating up all the bullies that we wanted to beat up in our own lives. But there's, they do some, they do things we dream about or fantasize about, but will not do so because of either our own moral code or social constrictions upon ourselves. Then there are the villains, and I kind of two people here have hinted at this. You have a villain who we just want to sit back and watch and do their thing. And that we cannot, at least not admit, that we relate to them. People like Jack the Ripper, Joker, and Batman. The people who are truly elements of evil that we just want to sit back and go, ooh, go for it. The people that you love to hate. <laughs> people you love to hate. That's a good way of putting it. Um, I was uh, going to bring up the point of uh, the victors and the vanquished, the people who win write history. And now that um, we're a lot more connected in the world, I think a lot more perspectives are being voiced than were previously. So I'm wondering if that might have anything to do with why... We are um, humanizing, I think, villains a lot more than we used to. This is true that, like, the only... I think uh, this comes up in, like, video games a lot, is the only faceless enemy you can still, like, kind of mercilessly slaughter is, uh, like, Nazis or stuff. Uh-huh. Because it kind of relies on uh, the old war propaganda from, you know, the 40s. Like, uh, you know, a lot of Nazis were bad people. A lot of them were also just people. But uh, you needed to, people needed to convince themselves that they were evil beyond being human in order to go and fight them. Demonize the enemy. Yeah. 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 Yes. It's a basic part of warfare, and it's, uh, maybe it's just something that has gotten a lot harder, and uh, we no longer have a way to do it. There's no picture, there's no picture of two Nazi officers, I believe, who truly, be- who believed they were on the on the side of right, which is scary as a thought. But put yourself into the mind of the villain. They actually thought they were right, and then there was some moment of revelation where they're actually looking at their uniforms and the old skull and crossbones. And something in that picture you can actually see on their face, like they have a proverbial "Oh crap, <laughs> we are the bad guys." Um, I was going to bring up um, zombies and werewolves and vampires. Because, you know, we've had stories and myths and um, not uh, folktales, folklore, about, um, well, werewolves and vampires especially, and zombies tying into those, for ages and ages and ages. But now they're romantic and special and gorgeous and whatever. And a lot of things that we see on, you know, TV, read in books, see in movie screens. But there is not as much of that in um, zombie Thing, like zombie things. I've seen warm bodies, mm-hmm. which is maybe the the exception. Why is it those other beings or creatures are able to be humanized to the extent that they are and not zombies? I think that's because that's why zombies became popular. We needed the faceless horde. Yeah. Well, we lost vampires. We needed zombies. <laughs> well, vampires have been sexy since Dracula. No, I mean that was the point of Dracula. It was it was the same. I mean it was the Fifty Shades of Grey of its day. And so, the minute you had that, and you lost the the peasant belief that vampires were bad, I mean, the reason that switched is you had this kind of undead creature of the night who could come in and ravish women, you know, and stuff like that. That is why vampires became sexy. Zombies don't run that line. They run more the grotesque side. So, I think it's harder to... Put that kind of romantic, you know, romantic nature onto when a zombie. When pieces of their face are falling, are falling off. off. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's like, part of it. But like, also, zombies <laughs> go to a, you know, vampires are the fear of, of burial, but zombies are truly the fear of death. Real fast, and I'm either Jamie or Jen, I'm not sure which one wants to talk first, but um, two aspects of the zombie and of the vampire. The vampires have, over time, gone from being the ultimate bad guy, Dracula, to being what we see in, forgive me for saying this, Twilight, and so forth. And I think a big jump to that started off with television shows and books like Dark Shadows. And I don't mean the Johnny Depp version. Um, where well, Also, vampires think. Vampires, vampires yeah. move, they have a brain. You were talking about the intelligent bad guy mm-hmm. here. 
you know, a zombie is not the intelligent bad guy. A zombie, we, I mean, we see some, but that's not exactly. And that's where I'm going to go with my zombies here in a second. But, um, like Dark Shadows, um, Forever Night, stuff like that, where the vampire wanted to get back his human soul. And that's where we start to see that character as a redeemer, a redeemable type type of character. Zombies, generally speaking, with biological version, yeah, there's nothing redeemable about them. They're not even alive. You get to a more science fiction version where it's a cybernetic zombie. Take, for example, Star Trek's The Borg. When we see the character broken away from the Borg, Hugh, Seven of Nine, a few others... Picard, even. Even Picard. You start to see an aspect of redemption, possibly. Well, I think it goes back to motivation, too. I mean, like, when you look at a zombie, their motivation is brains. Like, kill brains, eat brains. Like, that's all there is to them when you boil it down to, like, the basic (laughs) fundamental need. But you're talking about, like... Vampires, you know, like they need blood, and that's that's their survival. And I think that's why the villain stories of you know turning villains on their head has kind of become so popular because it's it's part of looking at their motivation and going, why are they doing what they're doing, and you know, why why is this important to them? And you know, well, vampires are going out there, they're drinking blood to live. Well, they're killing people, so that puts them in the wrong, but. From their perspective, that's their food, you know? We don't go around punishing people for killing cows for hamburgers. Like, it's, you know, so when you turn it on its head and, again, go back to perspective and and motivation as to why they're doing, it it all boils down to what perspective you're looking at. Um, I, if someone, if people want to speak to that and go first, I'm going to change the... Oh, uh, all I'll say is they do have to be tortured about it. The vampires. <laughs> oh no, the thirst is upon me. <laughs> unless no, you're, unless you're Lestat. No, unless, unless you're Dracula. Dracula loves being a vampire. Well, and not only that, but not all vampires have to kill the feed. So if you don't actually have to kill the person, then oh, there's yeah. a lot less to be tortured about. You can change the rules, yeah. Yeah. Either one of you two. Then I'm going to ask. I want to throw a question out to everybody. Oh, okay. Either one. I was going to bring us back to the you know. When we're talking about zombies, we're talking more about antagonists again. Yes, agreed. Going back to villains, uh, something Matt said earlier that the last kind of faceless villain that we can fight in video games are Nazis. It made me think of kind of a talking point concerning the most recent Indiana Jones movie. The In the oh. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the logical enemy was the Russians. Right. Because we were in the Cold War era. But they worked really hard to make the Russians very... Neutral, you know, they weren't faceless villains murdering people. You know, our Kate uh, Blanchett was awarded people's awards, and and they were just trying to win the war and turn you into us. And they weren't murdering people so much. And on the other side, they had the the communist protesters or whatever on the campus when they rode the the motorcycle through. Uh, the Americans were, you know. Com, you know, pro-communists uh, against all the Red Scare stuff happening on our good side. And capitalism was kind of given a bad rap because of the one guy who turns on us. Uh, uh, it starts with the name, Max. Is that the Max most recent or was that the original? That's the most recent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Max turns on us and is like, why, why did you do this, Max? He says, because I'm a capitalist. And it's all... Everything became gray. Like, they were scared to give us a villain that was powerful and dangerous. And that's, I think, maybe why the movie didn't... Was, to me, didn't spread, yeah. That and there was aliens in it. Oh, yeah. it's just oh like, but I didn't see that version. <laughs> it's a, like a dumb, you know, Indiana Jones movie. It shouldn't be that well, complex. Well, think about the Temple it, of it, Doom. It, Temple of Doom had a really clear villain. He was ripping the hearts out of people yes, and yeah. using children's slavery. <laughs> I mean, it, it comes <laughs> down to motivation, though. I mean, in the example you just gave, they don't have... The str- they didn't give them the strong motivation for what they were doing because they were trying to be ambiguous about it and it t- was to the detriment. A villain think. needs a strong motivation. Yep. One thing I think we all need to think about is that villainy is seductive. Villains are seductive. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, seductive, right girls? And certainly, <laughs> in real life, one of those just say it. Loki is weird. seductive, right? It's not it's no, it's Tom Hiddleston. Yes. Loki is seductive. Well, evil is seductive. I mean, think about what it means. People steal 
Free money, easy money. People kill, get money, get power. People do evil things to get other people to do what they no. want. Power. It's seductive. We love it. No, here's One a thing. Go ahead. Oh, here's a question I have then. Personally, I relate much more to the villains where they could be the hero of their own story. But what about the other villain? What about the psychopath? The Jack the Ripper type, that, you know, the, the serial killer, the person that does it, they're... That's they Joker. Have, he wants to do it to watch the world burn. Well, actually, no, Joker is not they have a, com- they have a, it's a compulsion to do it. They want to do what they want to do, and they don't care about hurting anybody else because they don't have empathy. But you could say the same thing about politicians, probably. <laughs> Some politicians, I'm actually, sure, there, are. There's a study on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's about power. people don't yeah. have to be serial killers. There's a lot more psychopaths than there are serial killers, you know, but... Thank, um, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> serial killers, through all my research into evil, and I've done this for over 30 years. Dude, okay. Are you petting your white cat as you talk about <laughs> yes. 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 I am a part of Spectre. <laughs> Which, by the way, okay, since I said that. Spectre, Hydra, we can go through Spe- it. Well, yeah, I'll just go through Spectre. In case anybody doesn't know, in James Bond, the evil organization of Spectre was actually based on a real organization Is that KGB reported to. No, it was part of the KGB. No, KGB and NKVD reported to, depending. No, yes, it did exist. No, it didn't. And that was Smirsh Fionan. Always known as Smirsh, which is death to spies. Ah. And actually almost heated up the Cold War in the 60s. Because they would go around and literally assassinate anybody who spoke up against Russia. But, let's talk about motivation of the characters. Um, This was not the question I was going to toss out, but (laughs) since we brought this up, a hero is technically motivated, motivated, irregardless of what genre you want to write or read, is motivated by three things. Defeating the villain or evil, saving the day, the family, the, themselves, there's somebody who they love, or the world, and serving justice. Your romances usually fall into their saving the person they're interested in, that they're in love with. Now, let's compare that to the villain. The villain tends to be motivated by one or more of the following. Fear, vanity, sharing agony, gluttony, desperation, envy, pride, lust, insanity or chaos, sloth, wrath, apathy, guilt, and greed. Exactly, the seven deadly sins plus a few. I would say a cause, too. Sorry. Is this the argument about happy families all being the same and unhappy families each being unique and special in their own terribly unhappy way? Uh Uh-oh. I'd also add that, like, in general, I think villains, uh, well, sympathetic villains, I'd say. Sympathetic villains are against the status quo. They see like something. There's something wrong. Or they're with for it. the status quo when the hero thinks there's something wrong with it. Yes. Yeah, they're just sort of. They're on the other side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like villains often want to change things in some way, and then like the hero wants things to stay the same. And he's got to protect the kingdom or whatever. Or you can have it the other so way I around. S- I said that villains are sometimes motivated by a cause, something that they believe in that maybe the rest of the world thinks is a little off kilter or crazy, but you know, they're they've got something that they're. They're ultimately trying to achieve, too. Each side has a goal, and they just happen to conflict. Yeah, and it's best, really, when uh, we think, like, we hear that villain and go, eh, maybe he's got a point. So Sauron just wanted to bring peace to Middle-earth? Uh, yes, he just wanted to... <laughs> it would be peaceful, all right. He had better technology <laughs> than everywhere else. You know, he's exactly. just surrounded by peasants who didn't understand things. He just needed to if elevate them. If all the giant flaming eye, none of that would have happened. The giant flaming eye of knowledge. <laughs> okay, let me ask this question of everybody. What is the purpose in a story, not in real life, but in a story of the villain? What, in your opinion? I know what my... The kick-ass battle scene at the end. <laughs> okay, it's all about that. Kick-ass. To, make, to make the main character's life a living hell. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the worst. Yeah, that's the conflict. Sure. conflict. Some, yeah. So something happens to the main character. Yes. Yeah. In my opinion, and not just mine, other people's as one, I think you've just said it by saying making the main character's life a living hell. The villain is the sharpening stone. Or the, the potato peeler, if you will. <laughs> And I mean that on purpose. I choose that image on purpose. The potato peeler 
to the to the protagonist. Let's face it. If the villain didn't do something, if the villain wasn't out there being villainous, the hero would be sitting at home smoking his pipe and going to the parties in the Shire. Or if it's a romance, the woman would that would be I don't know. I'm just gonna pick a woman who's a reporter sitting there and reporting on stuff and not caring what else is going on. Or in all honesty, Superman, Batman, we kind of talked about. Superman Batman would just would be, to go on a date. Uh, <laughs> Superman <laughs> would be sitting around playing Clark Kent. He'd never take off his glasses and fly. No, he would be uh, dealing would. with natural disasters. That's well, what more doing. okay. <laughs> and Batman, Batman would yeah. be able to finally go on a date, and maybe with someone other than Selena Kyle or Robin. <laughs> or, <laughs> Yeah. Wow, there's a whole other aspect of the Batman Robin routine. Um, I don't really think Batman Robin, would be, uh, not the younger ones. We don't do underage here. That's just inappropriate. Nightwing. Just Nightwing. to cover yes. ourselves here. Uh, but and also Robin. I love him. He needs clothes. In terms, looking at it in story terms, I wanted to ask everyone. Uh, there's lots of other ways to get a conflict into a story. Why? Uh, what are the pros and cons of using a villain to do it? Well, let me go back to what I was saying. <laughs> using the potato peeler. In real life, all of us take on a facade. We project who we think we are. The purpose of the villain is to say, no, 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 no. Actually, one of the things I love about Joker in all the, in all the stories is he loves Batman. He lo- he wants to make Batman the best hero he can possibly be. And by doing that, he has to break Batman away from his facade, break him away from his friends, break him away from his beliefs, and show who Batman really is. Or, and that's the same thing with any character. The point of the villain doing, I don't care how they go about it, they're trying to make that hero come out of their facade shell and here's who you truly are. Not necessarily consciously, though. I think. Um, oh, definitely not consciously. For, not any, consciously. for Joker, yes, but yeah. not for everybody. Right. I think it's more like um, the conflict is the forging fire through which the hero goes so we can see what they're made of and they come out better, faster, stronger, golden, and lovely. But um, it's hard to. It's hard to connect, I guess, to conflicting force that's an antagonist like Mother Nature freezing yourself to pieces. Um, it's harder to kind of get into that than it is for me to get into a villain with a face or that's a nameless, faceless organization that has a character of its own. See, I would say that the, the point of a villain over just conflict or something else is giving the reader somebody to focus their their anger, their angst, their you know, to focus on in terms of where the conflict is coming from. So, almost a villain is a, is a device for the reader so that they can glom on to the conflict and understand it more easily. Well, and I would even argue in a lot of cases that if you, you can have tension in a story, but if you don't have a villain driving that in a direction, then you don't have focused conflict. You just have tension and tension and tension, but then it's not going anywhere. It's just kind of winding around aimlessly. So I think in order to direct that in one onto one path, I think you need some kind of villain of course, to do that. I mean, you could do it with an antagonist, too, but I think a villain makes it a stronger case. Like you said, it gives somebody to point your finger at. So I've been thinking about stories and in a I think it's a young adult story I'm listening to, but I, the title's The False Prince. I forget who wrote it, but... Jennifer Nielsen. Ah, thank you. No. But the uh, point is, okay, the villain does show up right at the beginning, but you don't know for sure that that's the villain till pretty far into the story. Spoilers. And, yeah. <laughs> well, I won't tell you who the villain is, but it's pretty far into the story, and the point is there's another character that you think would be on the villain's side and turns out to be a, a, a good guy... And there's, you know, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are is becomes clear through the story, but is not clear until pretty much the end. But that's about the presentation of the villain. And, and that's not necessarily why a villain's there or anything else. Because, I mean, a villain can be, I mean, you can go with, you know, classic Darth Vader, beginning of Star Wars, A New Hope. Uh, you know, classic scene, he's lifting somebody up, choking him to death. I mean, from day one, we know he's a villain. 
However, you can also look at others or, you know, we've talked about the sympathetic villains who maybe they don't think they're a villain. I mean, that's just how you unravel the villain, how you unveil the villain to the reader. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways of doing that as as to why we have villains. In mysteries, a villain is often used to create more tension as the tension rises throughout it because often the villain will be unknown to the hero or heroine and probably the villain is going to find out who the heroine is and try to get to them, and that's going to create your black moment and finish off the mystery. And I'm actually going to change what I was going to talk about and fly right off of that. One of the things about that makes a villain a great literary tool versus the antagonist of nature and so forth is there should be a relationship between the villain and the hero. And to be honest with you, a lot of times, sometimes the hero can fall into the trap of villainy, when it's always a possibility. Using what Fedora just talked about, the villain learns about who the hero hero or heroine is, and then they technically go after him. There is a lot of times in which the villain and the hero happen to have been friends, or are friends. Um, They could be family. Uh, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. I was going to say, you're Perfect describing example. Luke Skywalker. Well, actually, you're describing Darth Vader. Yeah. Who starts out as Anakin Skywalker, a cute little kid who saves the day, becomes a angsty Jedi who saves the day, uh-huh. who then goes to the dark side because he's trying to save his wife for some unknown reason. <laughs> if he hadn't tried <laughs> to save her, pregnancy. she'd be fine. Puberty yeah. is such a bitch. And then he goes evil, <laughs> killing so younglings and, you know, everyone else for 20-some-odd years. Instead of doing a story. And then realizes, wait, my son's alive, this is awesome, so I'm going to chuck this guy off a balcony. Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> Huge spoiler. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, I was looking forward to that. <laughs> Let's go to, I, I've used Superman and Lex Luthor a moment ago, I'm going back to them. Some of the best stories told about them is where they are and have been great friends. Superman, he can move planets, theoretically. Actually, bad science, warning. Um, <laughs> What was it, Superman 2, where Lois Lane died, and he goes backwards? He's been the roll backwards. Yeah, you didn't know that? You just got to get it going backwards, and time goes the other way. Yeah, that's horrid. That's horrid science. If we all just run west, we We can can go back in time. If we all just start running west. (laughs) And anybody who knows physics and that is cringing right now. Exactly. But, um, whereas Lex Luthor, he can outthink Superman. And it makes him the danger. And it's because of that relationship between them that it becomes a very engaging story. In the case of mysteries, um, a lot of times the bad guy, if you will, commits the crime, especially in the whodunits. They commit the crime because of the causes I talked about earlier, but because they think that is right. They think somebody else is getting away with something they shouldn't have. They think someone else is destroying the family. They think this person shouldn't have the money they have, whatever that reason is. Then they learn that they're being investigated. They think they got away with the perfect crime, and now, uh-oh, something's happening. And the good ones, they try to buddy up with the bad guy, unless, I mean, with the hero, unless they already know the hero. And that's always kind of a clue, I think, in a way, to telling who the bad guy is and you know, who done it. You can cut, you can argue against me all you want to. Yeah, feel free. No. But, I was going to say, that's pretty, you know, all your Haku Pro, Pro, no, I just blew that name. Haiku Pro? No. I can't Pro, say it. Pro, Pro, thank you. I had, I had translated. Haiku Pearl Harbor? Haiku Pearl Harbor. You should write about him. Haiku Pearl Harbor. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read about him. Yeah. Like he's in the planes? How are these bombs falling? <laughs> Um, I was going to bring up, David, you had said the relationship between the hero and villain are one of the most interesting, I guess, driving forces for stories. Even. Um, and I then you brought up Smallville, Lex Luthor and uh, Clark Kent being friends before the rift, or if you're in X-Men First Class, the divorce on the beach. Um <laughs> It's so heartbreaking. The thing is, like, with those stories, half the tension for me was 
I know they become these, like, arch-rivals. Like, they, they hate each other. But they started off so nice. Is this, is this like, little, is this plot arc going to be the one that, like, completely screwed everything up for them? Like, is it going to be this? Is it going to be this? So half of the tension for me, aside from the conflict of whatever the plot is, is, like, is this going to be the breaking point? Well, Magneto and Xavier. Yeah, like a train wreck. I think, and I think relationships play an important part when you talk about a villain because, you know, you've got friends or siblings or, in Darth Vader's case, the father and son. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, You should really say sorry. spoiler alert before you say the spoiler. Spoiler alert is also his daughter. But I think... Is that better? Yeah, all of Star Wars is revealed. Let's speak yeah. as if everyone knows now. <laughs> if you have watched Star Wars before you listen to this episode... Or just look it up on Wikipedia for it. But, but I feel like, you know, relationships are really, really important to, you know, the development of the story and that, you know, ultimately something big happens and the two people that are brothers or siblings or, you know, friends ultimately disagree on something major and that sends them off into completely opposite directions. Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Or here, here's a fan <laughs> we haven't touched on, Doctor Who and the Master. Yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, 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 I want your geek card when you tear it Even I. Everybody likes Doctor Who except for me. Yeah. I don't get it. You heard it here first, folks. If you if you send us hate mail, please address it to the map. Okay. <laughs> I don't um, have a Facebook, thing, so good One of luck. my favorite quotes, which is by Robert Louis Stevenson, says that everybody you meet is commingled. I don't have exact quote. Is commingled both of good and evil. I think that's one of the things in a hero and a villain is that you should be able to see the villain in the hero and the hero in the villain. See, there is good in everyone. Well, there's <laughs> good in every foil, I guess, for the hero. That's like the uh, technical term. I like to pretend that there's good in everyone. Just the, the silver line. Everybody so has a little bit of good. Well, Dexter, Dexter's the perfect one that is, he's the protagonist. But he's a serial killer going around killing other serial killers. He has a code, thank you. He does have a code. And a lot of times, the villains who are morally ambiguous, and also to the heroes, by the way, but those who are morally ambiguous have a code of honor, lack of a better phrase. could be twisted in a lot of different ways, but there's a line they won't cross. And when they do cross it, it costs them something major. Well, let's look at Stevenson's own piece, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll gets too involved with technology, and that changes him, warps him into Mr. Hyde. So he is saying something about the modern world, and certainly I think most science fiction does some of that. Um, Well, and I think the code is a good point, and I think um, that is a thing that really distinguishes between heroes and villains, and I think a lot of times the villain can make the hero reevaluate their code. I mean, if you look at Arrow um, between season one and season two, and this is a really a huge spoiler, but he what? just he just he he decides that he's not going to kill people anymore. And obviously that doesn't stick forever, <laughs> but like he, you know, but he doesn't go out every night to kill anymore. But he realizes that what's going on, you know, in the story is, you know, I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to be this piece of villain that's in me. I want to get rid of that. And I think that right there is what distinguishes between the people that are truly good and the people that we consider villains is that they choose to embrace that little piece of good inside them, whereas the villains choose to squash it down and pretend like it's not there. Well, we often call a hero a hero because they have that moment of self-sacrifice where they give of themselves in some way, whatever. You know, we often call that. And, and a villain can have that same moment. And so the question becomes, do we redeem the villain in that one moment? Are they still a villain? You know, we've been talking about these villains who flip or these villains who have multiple sides or a villain who doesn't necessarily think they're a villain. If they do do something good, is that still a villain? Is that, you know... Well, let me use Just because they redeem themselves, does that... Still make them, you know. I want to I'm gonna, and I hate, I'm going to go down the DC world. Two char- uh, two characters: Green Lantern and Catwoman. In the case of Green Lantern, he starts off as a hero. There is a moment in which he gives into fear, turns evil, starts to kill people, 
And in over 10 years' time, after he realizes what he's done, it takes him 10 years to come back to redemption and turn back to good. Come back to the light, little buddy. Yeah, it becomes a hero's journey. Catwoman. Thief. Bad girl. Sexy bad girl. Bad girl. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that out there. She starts off evil. She's morally ambiguous. And slowly, over time, I don't know how many years, she becomes the good girl in the sense of a heroine, not necessarily a good girl in the other in the other sense, and even becomes part of the Justice League. So the idea is can there be redemption? I think in a lot well, of stories. Do we excuse the villainy for Do we excuse it? And again goes through real life justice system. We send people to jail with the idea that while in jail they will redeem themselves and come out. Yeah, I don't think anyone's the idea. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. The idea is <laughs> that they go to jail and they come out on the straight and narrow. So let's look at that idea for a go second, and then go in the corner and think about what you've done. <laughs> so let's, 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 let's consider this. Go insane, then we'll let you out. Let's consider and bring this. You back. Let's consider this. We're going to take a bad guy who has failed, toss him in with a whole bunch of other bad guys to learn to be a better bad guy, and then come out. Uh, the perfect yeah. villain. The perfect <laughs> villain. You mean I should have turned left instead of right? Oh my goodness. Um, about redeeming villains, um, Brad, you had said something about like if a villain is redeemed, like did, were they ever really? A, I don't remember exactly what you said. Would you excuse the villainy when they redeem themselves? Okay, that made me um, think about two different uh, stories. First one was Harry Potter, book seven, Malfoy's. Are they still villains, or He's still really dumb? The parents, yes. The parents, yes. Draco? maybe not. But, but there's a moment near the end of the book where they do do an act of good, and it's but does that of... excuse the other seven books or the other six <laughs> books in the decades of life previous? Not does it yeah, excuse I think so, it, but like, like have they villains. been redeemed? I don't think. I feel, like, ex- I feel like excusing <laughs> villainy is not quite the same as saying they have turned the corner. Now. And I would agree with you. I think you can't turn the corner and, and then, go forward from there. I mean, that's the tenet of Catholicism. I think, I think you can turn a corner, but I think you also that villain whether they've been redeemed, quote-unquote, it spends a long time still paying for what they've done because people don't trust them. People, you know, treat them differently, and so they have to react to that, and then you've got a whole other story going on. (laughs) See, I would say the villain who never is a villain again. The second thing, though, was Watchmen. Who was the villain in that story? Nixon? I didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) I think... Whoever that guy was naked all the time made me very. That was Doctor Manhattan, the blue one. The blue one, the blue guy, Doctor Manhattan, that grew himself and his. uh, Yeah, we're not going to go there. Gigantic size. You're the only one looking at the package the whole time. I can't stop looking. It's right there. Good thing this is PG-14. Um, you still are you in the same line? If not, I'm gonna to toss them off and turn to you. Oh, go ahead. I've lost my track. He was talking about blue packages. There's stay, nothing exists that looks what you did. Staying away from that. One thing that we do as writers, and I don't care if you're writing horror, mystery, science fiction, fantasy, whatever. We are the modern myth makers. In myth. Oh. In myth and in current religion, the idea of redemption exists. The I- now, it's not something like, oh, hey, I just went out and I killed five people, and oh, I'm so sad I shouldn't have done that, and tomorrow, oh, I'm a good guy. I- I've gone, excuse me, I, ro- I was raised Catholic. I've gone to confessional, now I've said 10 Hail Marys, 18 Arch Fathers, and done a couple acts of contrition. And now I'm all said and done. Oh, you also have to give him a couple thousand dollars. No, at least that's how it works. I'm not going down that road. That was a long time ago. (laughs) I'm not going down that road. Um, But the act of redemption takes over time. So whether or not I personally believe a bad guy can become at some point in time a good guy or not, 
is irregardless. It is in our, at least in our Western um, philosophy, a possibility. And I think that's one thing, if you want to make a really good villain, is in be able to hold out that carrot that they could redeem themselves. And also, on the contrary, the hero, a carrot to fall right down the old rabbit's hole into evil. Well, uh, I think this is a concept that goes throughout societies because it's really important, because people goof up sometimes. You know, like, sometimes, despite your best efforts, even, you uh, make a mistake, somebody gets hurt. Luke Skywalker kissed his sister. You need, yeah. I hate yeah. what happens. Lucas, your incest is showing. You need, there needs to be some sort of way to come back from, uh, you know, French kissing your sister. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be some way for you to kind of say, I'm sorry, and become part of the community again. Because there has to be, like... Otherwise, what else do you have? Like, exile or death for every single crime? Death by gravity, yes. It'd be insane. Well, to that, I mean, we keep talking about these people who can be redeemed, but what about the villain who can't, who's just pure evil? Or doesn't want to be redeemed. Doesn't want to be redeemed. Or, you know, because, I mean, to be be honest, that's almost more appealing to me as somebody who's not going to flip back to good, but who's just going to be like, no, I'm evil, and I'm staying evil, and I'm going to kill all of you people, or, I mean, that, you know, that, there's something to that. Not if I kill you first. <laughs> <laughs> or a great aspect of that, and I'm going to turn over to Jennifer here, or another great aspect is the villain who pretends he's been redeemed, but is not. Which is a very villain thing to do. Exactly. Yeah, troll. The troll. Infiltrating. I was okay. only pretending. Troll ah, in ah, the dungeon! Ah. You I was going to go with Joker, Sorry. but go ahead. So still. Um, I was going to bring up Scare Reference Theater for a moment. Um... A great example of what Brad just said from the 90s cartoon, y'all might not remember it, uh, <laughs> Reboot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, this is a bit later because it was season four, which was two made-for-TV movies that happened in the aughts instead. But um, at one point, uh, Megabyte is a, is a computer virus, so he's programmed and designed to be evil and destroy things. That is his entire motivation, is that's what he is. That's who he is, and that's how he functions. And at a point near the end of the series, they have a computer process that will reprogram him to not be evil anymore. And they they get him in a cell, and our hero thinks this is a great thing to do. This is awesome. We're going to rehabilitate him, and he's going to be fantastic. And uh, he comes at him and says, Megabyte, this is going to make you better. And he said, better... I won't be a virus anymore? Oh, I see. A fate worse than death. You are evil, aren't you? This is your punishment you give me, is that you change who I am. I thought that was a good way to look at a villain. That this villain, he likes what he does, he is who he is, and when you reform him, you change who that character is. So, I don't know. And along in that conversation with that, and the idea of redemption, and so forth, because that's part of what you're talking about, there's a favorite quote of mine by Johnny Douglas. And everyone will say, who is he? Johnny Douglas is an, John Douglas is an author of several books. He is the man who started the FBI BSU, Behavioral Science Unit, always known incorrectly as the Profilers. These are the guys who went after serial killers and so forth. And one of the things he said is, there are certain crimes that are simply too cruel, too sadistic, too hideous to be forgiven. And I think this falls to our villains that either don't want to be redeemed or cannot be redeemed. And he's probably speaking from experience there. Oh, he's yeah. thinking of a couple specific crime scenes. Oh yeah, mm. I can guarantee he is thinking of scenes which would probably cause us nightmares for decades. And high um, psychiatry bills. Trying to but recover everybody from. has good... <laughs> you just keep clinging over there. Yeah, Actually, those two things aren't anti each other. It's just that some for some people the good just is so small compared to what they've done. That you know, or their good is caring about their family, but they, even though they care about their family, they still commit some form of genocide. Yeah, you know, it's like it's a horrible crime he's committed. He still loves his children. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I like that that's nice right before you swing the axe down. Yeah. That's nice. Um, Jen, you had said uh, the reprogramming of Megabyte from Reboot um, was going to basically 
he said, change who he is, like, fundamentally, at his core. And, um, are all villains bad, like, necessarily? Like, is there, it sounds like you're saying, David, there's a scale, you know, that... Well, this villain we're talking about is bad the way, like, a shark is bad. <laughs> like, yeah, sharks... Nature. Yeah, sharks are evil, kind of, to people, but uh, they're just, they. there's no other way for they're them just to be. Hungry. Yeah, they're just sharks. They just yeah. go around and bite things. Doing they're what like, they've been doing for millions of years. They're swimming digestive tubes, and that's all they've got going Perspective for. and motivation. What do you guys think of uh, villains who have reformed, who are now with the good guys? Do they get more boring to anyone else? Like, well, naturally, they seem yeah. to kind of just... They're less free. I think it's because they lose their motivation. It depends on how good the writer is that we're talking about. Yeah, I would 100% agree there. And I think also, too, how good the writer is and how much the writer plays with their new motivation versus their previous motivation. Um, I'm just making this up. You get a villain who was a murderer, would go around shooting people. He is now doing the same Whatever the reasoning is that he had to be want to be a murderer, he's still doing that aspect. But now he says, "I'm not going to kill anymore." And here he's got into a fight with somebody. He pulls out a gun, has it to that person's temple. Maybe this guy has done looking around the bookstore, making sure there's no children around. As I say this, maybe he has done something, some type of child sexual predatory molestation. And he wants to pull that trigger. Right there. Great conflict between his bad side and his good side. And an interesting story on top of it. Agreed. I was just thinking, um, from books, there's, um, speaking of lawmen being the uh, bandits, whatever, well, in this book, there was a contract, well, okay, contract killer and, uh, basically sexual serial killer, but they both got this job in an alternate universe as U.S. Marshals, which also involves killing people, but it's killing monsters now. Mm-hmm. But the point is, the, the contract killer actually doesn't really have all that much problem, because he didn't kill people just for fun. He killed people because of that That's was his job. job, and now his job has changed, and he has excellent control and all that. But the serial killer, who is still technically... The other people around him that know his past, they know it. They can't prove it. If they could prove it, they would put him away, and they are very close to killing this guy a lot of the time, and they're just waiting for him. They're, uh, they're either trying to do one, trying to figure out a way for them to kill him without getting charged with murder themselves, or <laughs> trying to see something where basically they can prove he's not controlling himself. So they kind of have a deal with him. He doesn't kill anybody anymore that he's not supposed to, and they can work together. So that's a lot of conflict there. Fighting for the side of good really, really hampers some of the things you can do to fight for the side of good. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I like the morally ambiguity, amb- yeah. ambiguous, ambiguous. Uh, ones. You know, like, you look at, like, once upon a time, you've got, like, Hook, he wants to be, like, he wants to fight with the side of the good, but he's going to go off and do whatever he thinks he needs to do and whatever is necessary to get it done, regardless of whether people agree with what he did was good or not. You know, the end outcome might be good, but how he got there wasn't. So the means to an well, end. The pirate versus the pirate is just a privateer. Yeah. yeah. A pirate is, you know, somebody going out and taking down ships and murdering and killing and doing all that kind of fun stuff. And a privateer is, uh, you know, working, doing the exact same job, only for a crown, and they aren't being hung from the yard arms. Until they don't keep the money. Yes, they do. Well, you got to keep a lot of the money. The uh, <laughs> crown got the largest share. Unless they become, unless they get their um, writs taken away and they be And then they go young, back to being pirates. pirates. Yes. Uh, mentioning pirates made me think of a great example of a villain switching sides and joining the good guys. Pirates of the Caribbean. In the extra movies that we may or may not speak of, depending on how people feel what about that. What extra movies? <laughs> the extra movies. Uh, in the first movie, they had a really great villain yes. in, in Barbosa. And it was so great that when they went to write the less than spectacular sequel series, what movie? they wanted to make sure that he came back, so they turned him into a good guy, working yes. for our side. And then I he switches gr- back to a villain and kind of comes back to a villain. So he's, back still, he's back got the struggle back. we're talking about, but is he still interesting? 
Those who've seen these movies, how do you how do you guys feel about this he character? Got less and less interesting as time went well, on. Well, his think. super interesting part was that he was undead, and you can <laughs> shoot him and stuff. And you know, when he went into moonlight, he was a skeleton. <laughs> and it was that. Irritated. And then they took that part away. <laughs> right. And was, that's when it got. Ugh. It's that irritated character trait he had too, where he was like, he was so annoyed with yes. being immortal. He was like eating apples, like I can't even taste this. <laughs> Yeah. It just made him very cranky in a way that was adorable. <laughs> okay, I was thinking of uh, Deep Space Nine. Uh, Ducat. I can't think of his other name. Gold Ducat. Gold Ducat. Thank you. And, you know, he went, he went yeah. from bad to good to bad to good to bad, and I forget if he ended up... I think he Super ended annoying. up bad, but... Yeah. Oh, he, 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 ended up, he, ended up, he ended up bad. Uh, yeah. It's like, but eh, one boy. of the things... Okay, with that character, I want to talk about a different one here in a minute. And a real-life one, by the way. But to use a Galdicott example, he's a pendulum, pendulum going back and forth. But if you notice, each time he goes back to bad, he's going back further or <laughs> deeper into that evil. Comes back out, goes deeper again. He's like an addict. Yeah. He's just constantly getting worse. Exactly. Um, be, I'm going I'm to use a quote, and then I'm going to talk about... Um, you got something on this line? Yeah. Okay, then I'm going to hold off. Go ahead. Um, vigilantes... Um, Masked superheroes are really big right now. Um, Thank God. That's what I'm writing right now. Antiheroes. <laughs> like, I was wanting to know whether, like, we like them so much now because we see so much gray and we recognize that, like, there are things the law can't do. But well, how does that... Real quick, okay, that actually is a really long-running trait in America. We loved the outlaws of the 30s, the, you know, and then going back, we love, the, we love the outlaws of the Old West. Um, America loves its outlaws, its anti-heroes. And yeah, and it pauses right there. Because you have fed into where I was going to go before she talked. And I'm going to talk American history. I'm talking British history. In truth, in any series of stories you write in fiction... The villain can win multiple times. The hero... I'm sorry, the villain can lose multiple times. The hero can only lose once. And when the villain wins, it's for a very short time. So here's where I'm going. Robin Hood. If you know the story of Robin Hood, most people think Robin Hood stole from the rich, or stole from rich, gave to the poor, operated in England until King Richard returned fighting against Prince John. That's only the beginning of the story. Prince John lost. Richard returns. Then he up, he rose up against King Richard. He fights King Richard, kills him with a crossbow, or rather one of his soldiers kills him with a crossbow. Robin Hood is killed in the same battle. Spoiler alert. John becomes King John, the only King John in the entire royal line for England. And he becomes very important for the United States because he was put to dagger point to sign the Magna Carta. So thus he won and then immediately turned around and lost like a true villain. (laughs) And then with that, let me quote from Robert Louis Stevenson, and I believe this is out of Jekyll and Hyde, um, which is, in each of us, two natures are at war, the good and the evil. All our lives, the fight goes on between them, and one of them must conquer. But in our hands lie the powers to choose what we want most to be we are. And I think that falls to the motivations of the villain, the motivations of the hero, the relationship between them, and how they can easily fall to one another, or fall into each other's traps, or... Relationships, and with that, is there any final thoughts on the necessary villain? Just that duality is real, and Mirror Mirror taught us that your evil side wears a goatee. <laughs> there you go. We're not so into mustache twirlers now. We want to believe that this bad guy's real and be terrified. Well, and I think our our choices are come down to you know from our motivations, like what motivates us to move in a certain direction, and I think that's what makes both heroes and villains interesting. Maybe the focus on uh, the anti-hero and the anti-villain, maybe? Is that uh, 
we're learning to kind of, we're trying to pick and choose which are the good instincts and which are the bad instincts, because we're not so sure anymore. And an example, let's go with 24, Jack Bauer. He's technically a good guy, but he will do anything necessary to keep that nuclear bomb or whatever from going off. We want him to do whatever is necessary to keep that from happening. But does that make him really a good guy, or is he really a villain? We, uh, we're liking Fifty Shades of Grey as a romance all over this culture right now, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently okay. we writing. also like Fifty Shades of Grey in the evil direction. Oh. We like exploring all those little areas. Exploring <laughs> <laughs> little areas. <laughs> let, 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 oh. let's, let's be honest. Nice. Every like act, there's, there's very few actors out there that will confess that they want to play the good guy. Ev- most actors want to play the bad guy because there is an attraction to evil. There is a temptation and inside you can do of it us. In every single movie, which is most right. And spoiler alert: um, the man who played Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, made a made a memorable hero, and then he turned around. Pursued DC to become the voice of the Joker in the Batman voice. animated series. The only Joker. Yeah. The, I will, yeah. yeah. I will and he made a memorable uh, villain. The best one. So then, can we, on a future episode, talk about the boring hero? Ooh. What is it that makes a hero interesting versus this general blandness? Oh, we've got a lead in. Guess what, people? I think Jennifer just <laughs> tossed out our next episode for the right pack. Before we go, I would like to say, though, if you have enjoyed this co- this conversation, check out www.davidallenlucas.com. That's David, A-L-A-N, Lucas.com in about a month or two, and I will start holding a webinar called Inside the Heart of Darkness, Exploring and Creating the Layered Villain. Thank you. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is a online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website.